Welcome to my MACD life, empowered by the Support Sight Foundation. This podcast is about macular degeneration and the devastating impact it has on millions of people and their families every single day, 365 days a year. Our mission is simple, to bring hope, optimism, perspective, and education to our listeners. So tune in, buckle up, and put your listening ears on. Support for today's My MACD Life podcast comes from Healthy Vision Association, Novartis, The Sparrow, Centric Bank, and Hinkelstein and & Associates. Folks, this MACD Life episode includes our special guest, Dr. Dwight Stambolian. We're thrilled to have him with us. Today, Dr. Stambolian and his research team at the University of Pennsylvania recently received a research grant from the Support Site Foundation. So, Doctor, thanks for joining us today on the MACD Life and welcome to the show. First of all, congratulations on your TSSF Research Grant Award. Bravo. Yes, well, thank you very much. And I'm honored to have you allow me to speak on my research. We're really glad you could join us today. And I guess the first questions I'd like to ask for our listeners really is, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? I'm sure people are curious about who is Dr. Stambolian? Sure. Well, I uh, consider myself a uh, physician scientist who has had some lucky breaks during my career to help me land softly into uh, my current position. I first became interested in ophthalmology during my second year of medical school. This interest was piqued by a fellow classmate who was passionate about ophthalmology, and some of this enthusiasm spilled onto me. But as I progressed through medical school, I became confused about my ultimate role after graduation. Was I to become a scientist or clinician or both? During my senior year, I decided on both, and I was fortunate to meet a University of Pennsylvania professor in ophthalmology who invited me to seek another advanced degree, a PhD. So I moved to Philadelphia following medical school graduation and completed my PhD at Penn and remained at Penn to complete my ophthalmology residency. Following my ophthalmology residency, I was invited to remain on the faculty and have remained as a faculty member since that first appointment. Well, quick, a quick question for you. It seems like you've been very fortunate to have a couple of really influential people through that part of your career that really had an impact on you in terms of kind of shaping the direction you headed in. Is that that accurate? That is accurate, yes. That's great. Well, how fortunate you to have those influences. Yes, I was very lucky. So do we fast forward now to your early research career and what happened there? Well, during my formative years of my research career, it, it was focused on cataract. Hmm. And it was not until the year 2000 that I began to develop an interest in MACD. My initial MACD research was clinical and focused on identifying MACD families in the Amish community of Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Well, that's fascinating. That's actually about five miles from where I'm setting today for the show. And what attracted you to the Amish community particularly, Doctor? Well, it was their excellent genealogy and their... uh, large families, and their well-known genetics. Hmm. Really fascinating. 
in that community, we actually examined about 3,000 individuals and found quite a few families that were transmitting MACD through the generations. This project evolved into studying another ethnic group, African-Americans in Philadelphia. Interestingly, MACD in African-Americans is much less frequent and presents differently from MACD in Europeans. In that study, we managed to recruit about 600 individuals that had a diagnosis of MACD. And over the last five years, my MACD research has changed from actually being clinical to more basic science research. That's really interesting. So, you know, for the people listening to this program in a layperson's nutshell, tell us about this exciting research project and what's the purpose of the TSSF grant uh, and what will your team be doing with the money? Right. So uh, before I get to that, let, let me review some of the issues about drug design for MACD and then discuss uh, our approach to finding a cure for MACD. Many of the current therapies for MACD have been directed at slowing the progression of the advanced stages with drugs, such as anti-VEGF, or in some cases, surgically replacing the dead cells with live cells. By design, a drug is usually directed against a target that is either disease-causing or disease-modifying. Drug design now takes multiple years and man hours of research before a drug gets tested in humans. Historically, much of the research into new drugs directed at MACD has been done on animal models, such as mice and rats, that do not have the same eye anatomy as humans. So then does that experiment on animals become problematic? because of some of the structural differences in an animal's eye versus a human? You read my mind. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> the anatomy of most of these animal models is quite different. Um, a lot of, like mice and rats, do not have maculae, which is the location in, in the retina where MACD does its damage. Ah. In addition, the physiology of rodent models do not accurately recapitulate the physiology of humans. So let me just stop you for one second, because we've got some smart listeners out there. But what do we mean when we say recapitulate? Mimic. Well, let's use the word mimic. There's not mimic. Mimic. Okay, so mimic the physiology of humans. Or reproduce. So many of the clinical trials that are initiated uh, have an incomplete understanding of a drug's effect in human beings. Adding to this lack of understanding is our limited knowledge about the underlying biology of why MACD develops and its progression to advanced MACD. So what is different about our current approach to MACD? Well, first, we are focusing our research on human eye tissue to better understand what makes a normal macula different from other locations in the retina. If we can understand the uniqueness of the macula, then it might be possible to explain why the macula is susceptible to MACD. Second, we are collecting eye tissues from deceased donors who have no disease and others that have MACD. Using tissues from both sources, we seek to find the differences 
between the eyes that are normal and those that have MACD. So it's it's almost, Doctor, if I may interrupt you for a second, it's almost like you're a detective in a way because you're comparing and trying to figure out exactly here's normal, here's not normal, and what are the differences? Differences. Why yeah. are they different, right? Correct. The differences that matter. We expect these differences will lead to new targets that can be used to develop drugs against these targets. Finally, we are collecting eye tissues from donors with a wide spectrum of MACD, including early, intermediate, and late stages. The collection of multiple MACD stages should enable us to generate a gradient of changes in MACD that manifests early and progresses through intermediate and advanced stages. Understanding these changes that underlie this gradient from early to intermediate will lead to new drugs directed at these targets with the goal of halting the progression from early to intermediate stages. And if we are lucky, this analysis might provide clues of how MACD develops in the setting of a normal eye so we can find a cure to stop it from ever starting. And what great news that is for our listeners, people that are suffering from MACD, people whose families have people that are suffering from MACD, to know that that your research has the possibility for finding a cure or, as you said, at least stopping or slowing down the progression of this awful disease. That is correct. So. I hear Don Prawl, the founder of the Support Site Foundation, say all the time, research makes medicine. <laughs> you and I have heard her say that many times. And so it's simple and profound when you think about it, just three words, research makes medicine. But most of us get up in the morning, we take our medicine out of our little pillbox, and we don't really think about that medicine, like where did it come from? How did it get designed? How did it get developed? How did it get to be where it is? And so- when you're thinking about this as a researcher and a clinician and a scientist, you know, you're taking care of patients. But w- from your point of view, what, is, what does it mean when, it, when we say research makes medicine? Well, I'm, I look at about 10 years of research and clinical trials before a uh, medicine actually gets to the table of the patient. For example, a, a, yeah. At least 10 years. So before a pharmaceutical company can enter a drug into clinical trials, there needs to be some basic research accomplished, which addresses the biological activity of the drug against the targeted disease. Much of this research is performed in academic centers like mine and is usually supplemented by research labs in big pharma. This period of intense basic research can vary from three to six years, or in some cases longer, and must be undertaken before a drug can enter a clinical trial. Now, only about five in 5,000 drugs that are tested in the lab ever make it to clinical trials. I guess the thing that our listeners would probably be most shocked by is two things. One, that it takes 10 years from inception to it actually being, you know, used by a patient. And secondly, this is like, you know, threading the eye of a needle because we're talking about five 
in 5,000 drugs that are tested ever even make it to the clinical trials, Correct. much less to our hand, we can take it to cure disease. Right. To receive FDA approval. Well, yeah. that is, that's so rigorous and so difficult. Well, yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about the clinical trials. Uh, the clinical trials themselves consist of three phases and are designed to determine the effectiveness of uh, new drugs. Phase one is usually performed in a small number of volunteers, about 20 to 80 subjects, and is designed to address the drug's safety profile. A safety profile includes the drug's safe dosage range, its absorption, its distribution in the body, and its degradation rate. This phase usually lasts about a year. After phase one, phase two is initiated to identify the minimum and maximum dosages for effectiveness. This phase usually involves between 100 to 300 patients and can take about two years. Phase three is the final phase and usually involves somewhere between 1,000 to 3,000 patients. Its purpose is to address the safety and drug effectiveness in a much larger group of patients and usually takes about three years. I guess as a layperson doctor, it makes me feel really good to know that there's all these levels of safety and testing before these drugs are released to the public. That's right. And That's there's great also, reassurance. Yeah. And there's also uh, the fact that you need to make applications to the FDA for approval to even begin a clinical trial and later to bring the drug to market. This adds another two to two and a half years to all this time. Wow. So as you know, here on My MACD Life, we hear from people and families who are living with MACD all the time, and along with learning more about how to live with losing their vision, many of them want to learn more about the science. So, you know, if we could kind of go behind the scenes, if we could, we can't, but we'd like to, and we could go behind the scenes to labs all over the world like yours at Penn that holds promise, what can you tell people listening to this show today, uh, what's happening right now that, that that's that would bring them hope. What, what, what right now in those labs are kind of the bright light, a possible cure or some new medication in the future that might really benefit those suffering from MACD? Well, first, let me assure your audience that there is research occurring all over the world to determine how MACD begins, as well as new therapies to slow its progression. In fact, amazing research advances have been made since the first therapy for the wet form of MACD was developed in the 1980s. This initial therapy in the 80s utilized a laser to destroy abnormal MACD blood vessels. Unfortunately, it also destroyed normal blood vessels, leading to loss of vision. So around the year 2000, a new type of laser was invented that was directed at a dye while it passed through the abnormal blood vessels of the MACD lesion. The dye was given to the patient by venipuncture, but unfortunately, while the damage to normal blood vessels was limited compared to the laser of the 1980s, vision was not improved with the laser dye combination. Therefore, the limitations for both laser treatments stimulated the development of a new drug called anti-VEGF in 2006. 
This drug was shown to improve vision and was a major breakthrough. But this drug has limitations that include patient variability with respect to dose and treatment periods and the high frequency of atrophy which follows long-term injections. So to uh, decrease the frequency of injections and make the injections more comfortable for the patient, there has been a lot of research in finding new formulations uh, to determine if the number of injections can be reduced on an annual basis. Initial results are promising for reducing the number of injections by almost 75%. There are new New injectables uh, that are currently in phase two, which are highly promising. There are also a few clinical trials being directed at the complement proteins. Complement is a pathway which consists of over 50 proteins. For two decades now, research has implicated the complement pathway in MACD. One ongoing trial inhibiting complement is with a drug called Apple II. Phase two trials of Apple II have shown a reduction in the growth of geographic atrophy, and this drug has now moved into a phase three trial with a larger group of individuals. So the exciting news, we have research that indicates we may be able to reduce the number of injections up to 75%, perhaps. Yes, And we have some new complementary pathways, proteins, that could also have a significant development in a drug called APL2. You said complementary. You mean complement. Complement, yes. Complement pathway. Yes. That's, well, that's great news. So there is a lot of hope out there. Yes. So none of us really know what the future will bring. And I know you don't have a crystal ball, that's for sure. But certainly, you know, before COVID-19 and now, and years from now, but the pandemic really has put science and medicine on everybody's mind because every day now people are talking about the vaccines and the developments with different pharmaceutical companies, really like we've never thought about before. So people are all over the world are putting hope in people like you, Dr. Stambolian, and scientists and doctors. So what hope is on the horizon for people who have MECD and what are you finding most promising these days? Yes. Well, hope springs eternal. I am very optimistic about the future. First, scientists are spending more time focusing their MACD experimental studies on human tissue. Models of human eye tissue, such as organoids and cell culture platforms that contain layers of the human retina, are being developed to address the need for human eye models to test new drugs and study cell-to-cell interactions. These organoids and other cell culture platforms are built using particular cells from human blood, and converting these cells to different kinds of retinal cells. The idea of this technology is to build a human retina in a dish that will allow us to assess biological pathways and the retina response to external insults. So let me let me make sure I understand this, because I know our listeners would want to understand this. Sure. So we're now not experimenting with an animal. We're now not experimenting with a human. We're basically creating in a dish, if you will, for lack of a better word, using organic organoids, right? Using organoids and other cell culture platforms to be able to test 
the effectiveness of different treatments. Is that did I, did I hear that correctly? Yes, very accurate. This Correct. is like science fiction. That's <laughs> it. Really is. I mean, who would have thought ten years ago this would even be possible? Yes, you're right. We never had this in our vision ten years ago. Yeah. Well, uh, to proceed, as mentioned previously, there are major ongoing efforts to collect human eye tissue uh, to assess the changes occurring in MACD. Such efforts utilizing human eye tissue will be the most direct way to identify the cause of MACD and eventually lead to new drugs directed at either preventing MACD or halting progression from the early to late stage of MACD where you get irreversible loss of vision. That's so exciting. So I'm imagining with this pandemic, with the COVID-19, how has the pandemic impacted your research and how has it impacted research in general? Yeah, the pandemic has had a major impact on research progress. When the pandemic reached a peak in the spring, uh, the university shut down for about six weeks allowing only essential personnel to come to work. And since research personnel are not considered essential, research came to a halt. After this period, there was a staging uh, program at the university which limited the number of research personnel returning to work. This first stage lasted about a month, whereby only 50% of the personnel were permitted in the laboratories at one time. During this period, research personnel were required to work in rotating shifts to limit contact between individuals. In September, all research personnel were allowed to return to work with restrictions, which included wearing a mask at all times on campus, frequent hand washing, maintaining a safe social distance, no in-person conferences or lectures, and no eating in groups. Unfortunately, this lack of person-to-person contact limits conversations between individuals, which are very important for discussing new ideas. As a result, research progress has been impeded, even more so today with the rise in coronavirus cases. That's very unfortunate. So it's kind of put you a little behind the eight ball, I guess. It has. It has. So all of the folks listening to my MACD life know that research takes money and time. So I guess my question is, how can our listeners help advance your work if each person listening to this podcast could do one thing that would, for you, move the needle? Dr. Stambolin, what would that be? Well, I I think the best way for listeners to advance research is to donate money to well-intentioned organizations like SupportSite. SupportSite is at the forefront of funding projects that have high impact. Its leader, Dawn George, spends a lot of effort screening vision scientists for their ideas and past productivity to determine who would be the best candidate to receive research funding from support site? Her energy is limitless, and she strives for excellence from herself and those researchers who receive support site funds. One story that I can relate is her devotion to getting things right, no matter the time of day. She and I tried to find a convenient time during the week 
that included daytime and evenings, but unfortunately, there were no available time slots, and she arranged to talk to me for one and a half hours on an early Saturday afternoon. She is so devoted to the Support Site Foundation that there is no such thing as an inconvenient time to discuss new therapies that might stop the progression of MACD. So, Dr. Stambolian, it must be tremendously rewarding to do the kind of work that you do. Tell us about that. Does that feel rewarding to you, seeing the progress that's being made? Yes. My day is never boring. There are stressful times when I have grants to write and papers to write. I feel so fortunate that my day is always filled with activities and is always challenging um, to, to... to do this kind of work. So yes, it, it, it's, it's very exciting and I'm never bored. Have you ever thought about your legacy that maybe several years down the road when someone is cured of MACD, they'll go back and say, it was your work that led to that? No. Scientists, well, I would say scientists usually don't think of things like that. We're, we're humble individuals. We don't, we don't think like that. <laughs> we don't have a legacy. Our legacy is our publications. Gotcha. Well, just I will tell you that we really appreciate everything that you're doing. Yeah. Well, thank you. So, Dr. Stambolin, thank you for being on the show. I, I know I've learned a lot, and I know our listeners have too. The, the science and the scientists like you whose research helps us understand more about MACD, about the vision, the eyes, the amazing human body at a cellular level. And your research is discovery, and that's what creates a pathway for new treatments and a cure. So thank you so much for everything that you do. Well, thank you for your time. This program is empowered by the Support Site Foundation. The Support Site Foundation mission is to save sight for millions of people who suffer from age-related macular degeneration, AMD, and lose their precious vision. As a 501c3 public charity, our goal is to provide patient education and access to low vision resources to help individuals, families, and caregivers whose lives are severely impacted by AMD. We place a high priority on connecting with people, their families, and loved ones who live with the daily struggle of impaired vision. The Support Site Foundation funds innovative research projects conducted by the top scientists in the field who are on a path to discover effective new tools, technology, and treatments for people like you with vision loss. The Support Site Foundation, supportsite.org, S-U-P-P-O-R-T-S-I-G-H-T.org, or call us at 888-681-8773 and connect with us on social media. Thank you. Thanks for being with us on My MACD Life, the podcast with a vision to bring hope, optimism, perspective, and education to our listeners. For more information and many great, incredible resources, visit MyMACDLife.org. This program is supported by amazing listeners like you. During the season of giving, please consider a donation to keep our mission moving forward. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, keep living with hope. Life. I'm not